On Data Science Mixer, we've had a lot of conversations with data science and AI experts where issues around ethics and personal rights have come up. They've had a variety of opinions and concerns, but one thing all those experts had in common, they've all been adults. We haven't talked to any kids about these issues, but today's guest has done that around the world as one part of his work with UNICEF on the rights of children with regard to AI policy and strategy. Welcome to Data Science Mixer, a podcast featuring top experts in lively and informative conversations that will change the way you do data science. I'm Susan Curry Civic, Senior Data Science Journalist for the Alteryx Community. For today's episode, I talked with Stephen Vosloo, and I'm excited for you to hear more about his work on policy and strategy, plus his suggestions for what data scientists can do around this issue in both their professional and personal lives. Let's hear more from Stephen. Thanks, Susan. Thanks for having me. Um, my name is Stephen Vosloo. I'm a digital policy specialist at UNICEF. So I'm based at their headquarters in New York City. Excellent. And do you mind sharing with us uh, which pronouns you use? Yes, we have. And one more very important question. As you know, on Data Science Mixer, we often try to have some sort of special beverage or snack or something with us while we're chatting. So do you have anything special with you there today? I just have water. But for now, <laughs> for now, yes, but I'm looking forward good. to a glass of wine later. So there we go. Oh, excellent. What kind of wine, if I may ask? I like red. Yeah, I like yeah. red. Um, yeah, French red. Yeah. Cool. Very nice. Very nice. As an Oregon resident, I think I'm legally obligated to say Oregon Pinot Noir is one of my favorites, but, but it actually is. So that works out well. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Maybe you could just tell us a little bit about how you got to the position you're in right now, kind of your your journey into digital policy and the particular area that you primarily focus on. Yes, of course. So I started my career um, after studying computer science and I graduated in 95. So in 96, I was a web developer and believe it or not, I'd spent three years learning about mainframes and COBOL. So the internet had just, I remember I went online, I think in 94, it wasn't even part of our curriculum, but you could learn HTML and pick it up. And so, <laughs> you know, it was a great time. I spent the first five years working, um, yeah, as a web, web developer mm -hmm. in Johannesburg. I'm from South Africa and then in London. And of course it was the dot-com time. So for techies, great time, exciting. And we thought we had finally, you know, taken control of the world and this is our moment. <laughs> and then of course the bubble burst. And I remember... <laughs> I went traveling and I remember picking up a magazine at the time called Yahoo Internet Life, print magazine from Yahoo. <laughs> right, print you know. magazine about the internet. Wow. <laughs> that is truly an artifact. <laughs> <laughs> I remember those days too. Right. And there was an article about all these techies in Silicon Valley who were now out of work after the bubble burst and they were using their talents to support non-profit organizations and developing systems for social impact and education and health. And this really moved me. It was a, an aha moment for me. So since then I've stayed in technology and my work has really been about digital for social impact. Um, I've worked in e-government in South Africa as a, as a UX, UX person and specialist. I gave up coding after a while. I realized I'm actually not that good at coding, but <laughs> <laughs> I could speak, I could speak geek and I could speak English. So I, it was a good time, you know, to to be a kind of interlocutor um, mm -hmm. between the rest of the world and, and the tech teams. So I worked there, I've done a lot of work with, with young people, digital media and youth and cross-cultural awareness. At Stanford, I, I did a project in 2007 on this, uh, 
connecting young people around the world. And at that time, still believing that, and I, you know, and, and the research at the time showed that this really was good at breaking down barriers and connecting people. And, and of course it still is, but the internet looks a little different now. And yeah. And then mostly just really joined the UN and have been working in digital learning mostly. I joined UNICEF three years ago. And so really looking at using my technology experience and implementation experience, looking at what kind of policies should be in place to make sure that digital spaces uh, for children are both kind of safe and empowering. Yeah. So a lot of my work has been on digital literacy, children and misinformation. Uh, and of course, children and AI, that's my, my biggest project. Yeah. Yeah. And of course that brings us to our data science connection here, which is awesome. Um, and I would love to hear more about that particular project. You know, it, it sounds like there are a lot of different forms and I'm sure, you know, many of our listeners will be familiar with, if not involved in actually building some of these, a lot of different forms that AI can take in kids' lives. So I'm curious about some of the main areas where you see AI having a role and um, that you're focusing on right now? Sure. So as, as, you, as you well point out, that AI is very much in the lives of children, whether it's through the recommendation engines and, you know, in, in, in video platforms or news feeds or putting banniers on, on your selfie or, you know, <laughs> it's uh, to virtual assistants to increasingly in, in the classroom through personalized learning systems or, and at the same time, children, so children have this direct interaction with AI enabled systems. They also have these indirect impacts. For example, AI systems that determine their educational opportunities or their parents' loan application, which have a kind of a knock on effect to the child's quality of life. Um, and so what, what, you know, what, what we've seen is that AI is very much in children's lives. And at the same time, we didn't find in our research that Children, children as a, as a demographic and their, and their rights were being recognized enough in, in AI policies and AI strategies, or even in the development of, of AI systems. So I can give you an example. We, we, we looked at 20 national AI strategies, um, and almost no mention of children, except thinking about the next generation of, of AI talent. Um, oh, which, yeah. right. And there's nothing wrong with that. You need to think more broadly as just kind of a, a, a resource. Think about, you know, how, how AI can support children's development or support their, their health and their, their education, you know, their protection, their participation. So we, yeah, we, we really wanted to kind of dive down and, and look at and raise awareness about, about children. I should just say briefly, you know, and especially for what you said about your listeners developing these systems. There was a great report that came out a few months back from data and society on called the unseen team yeah. and right. And it was really about how little, um, children. And when I say children, I'm, I'm using the UN definition of below 18. Okay. So it's, it includes adolescents, of course, how little they're actually involved in many big tech development programs. Of course, you know, this is generally speaking, because of course there, there are many products developed with kids, but the report. Yeah, it was based on interviews with, with many leading practitioners and there was a real gap there. And so, you know, the, the unseen team is, is, is a gap that we, you know, we, we thought this is a spotlight needs to be shone here, especially given that children are a major user group. Um, one, th one third of all online users are children. And so, yeah, that's, that basically needs to change. And 
part of that is kind of recognizing children's rights. And I, I could talk about that, uh, you know, if you want and, and kind of what that means in AI. Yeah, I'd be curious to kind of hear your definition of, of rights in that context. Well, being UNICEF, we, we look to the Convention on the Rights of the Child, which is, um, again, this was developed in 1989. And it's, it's the most ratified UN treaty of all time. Most, most countries in the world have signed on to this. And it's, it basically says that a child has all the rights of an adult, but a set of additional rights. So your right to healthcare, your right to education, your right to protection. Um, children have a right to play. It is a UN right, which is amazing. And so if we look at how AI systems impact on children, we have to look at it through the lens of, of those rights, you know, both the protection and uh, an empowerment. Because children also have a right to participation in the matters that, that impact on them. So designing with children is, you know, is and including children in the design process is, is part of that kind of exercising that, that right. Um, right. It does also say that children have evolving capacities, which we know. So a five-year-old and a 17-year-old are quite different in, in many ways. But those, those are broadly speaking the, the child rights. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So it sounds like age is a, a potential distinguishing factor among how kids might be exposed to AI or involved with online activity generally. Are there particular areas of concern around different demographic groups kind of beyond age, maybe looking at gender or socioeconomic status, um, particular groups that are maybe of more concern for any reason? That's a, that's a really good question. Yes. You know, so with, within age, of course, you, you get these developmental stages. So age itself is a bit of a blunt instrument because not all 13 year olds are the same, right? But we all, we, we, we had to come up with some, some kind of system. Um, you know, even within age, you get, you get your early childhood, you get your kind of early adolescence, later ad adolescence. And so these evolving capacities, of course, impact on your things like your, your ability to understand issues of consent and whether the system that you're interacting with is collecting your data. Do you understand that? Do you understand that it's an AI system or AI enabled system versus a, a human being? Right, um, right. Right. So that's, that's, that's the one, you know, in terms of demographics. For sure, we know that your, your gender orientation makes a difference where, where generally girls don't have the same exposure to digital literacy programs uh, or AI literacy programs, or in many parts of the world, the same kind of opportunities to, to be online. So your gender matters, your socioeconomic status, I guess, matters in the sense that your data may not be used to train the models that you're interacting with. So you may be a child in South Africa. Whereas the system you're using is largely based on the American child. And even that is such a broad generalization, right? So I should just say as well that, that children's data, because data is such a key part of, of AI is children's data is different. And, you know, when, when we say that, we mean that it's, it's in terms of the way that when the children understand use of their data, they get, you know, coming back to understanding of whether it's being collected, they may not be aware of their rights in a sense of, of their data rights as a consumer. Or if they feel something's gone wrong on a, on a tech platform, their kind of ability or to be able to redress and, and, and seek redress. And in the US, you have COPPA, which is the Child Online Privacy Protection Act. So that, it, for example, says that children's data under 13 can't be used for behavioral advertising. So yeah, the, you know, again, the, the, the data is different and we, we do need to think differently about this particular demographic of, of user. Right, right. 
So I, I believe you have a report coming out pretty soon that's going to talk about some specific guidance around kids and AI and these issues around data and demographics and so forth. So I'm curious what some of the key takeaways are going to be in that report. Absolutely. So let me, let me zoom out for a second. What we will be releasing is version two of the guidance. And we're very excited about this. We, we released version one in September last year. And I wanted to, drawing on my techie background, wanted to take a slightly different approach to developing a, a policy guidance. So we, we went through a fairly consultative process to develop it last year. So we, we met with AI experts around the world to get regional inputs um, into what this kind of guidance would be about how you think about children and AI. We also, for the first time for the UN, met with a whole bunch of kids. Um, so we held nine workshops, which were, for me, one of the best parts of, of the project. Again, around the world and, and, and ask them what they, not what they think an AI policy should be about, but kind of what excites them about AI, what worries them. So, so can I, mm. can I yeah. pause you there for just one second? I'm curious about what those workshops look like. Do you just kind of have like a classroom setting with kids talking about these issues or how, how did that look? So we actually did write this up in a, in a workshop methodology, which I can, you know, I can send to you to put in the show links, but. So it's, it's a really great methodology. Typically we would do it more out of school than in school. So, you know, set up a very more informal kind of space. It's about half a day and we spend the first while just talking about broad AI concepts and also talking to the kids about their digital lives, just to say, okay, what do you, what, what do you do in your day? What do you do when you wake up? What's the last thing you do at night? And then they, they map it up and you look at this their digital day and the footprints they've left and, and you start contextualizing that within AI systems and algorithms. And the most interesting part was we presented them with a bunch of case studies that we broke into groups. And for example, you're applying to college and for the first time your application is going to be reviewed by an AI system. Sure. So, and these are the criteria that they will they'll look for and, and grade you on. And then we'd speak about issues of fairness and issues of, of bias. And, and so this was a really nice way to talk about a complex issue in a way that, that the kids could relate to. Yeah. yeah. And then we ended with these things of what excites you and what worries you. And that was interesting because it really showed how different groups have different reactions. So what worries you, the kids in the U S and in Europe spoke about being hacked or about how lazy they'd become because robots <laughs> do everything for the first. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Whereas kids in South Africa and Johannesburg were, so because unemployment is so high, their youth unemployment, they were, this really kind of concerned them that AI could be taking away jobs that are really scarce. Oh, well, interesting. Right. But on the other hand, they were excited about kind of how AI could be used for alleviating poverty or kind of improving healthcare, you know, for, at, at a national level. So yeah, it was. It was really great fun. And we, we wrote a report on it. Yeah. And we've got this methodology. If anybody else wants to, wants to kind of consult kids in their AI process. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And I can imagine that again, you know, that might be of interest to some of our listeners who might be working in this space. So yeah. Thanks for the, the details there. It's, it's a fun image too, just to think about, you know, kids sitting around talking about AI bias and <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. Very cool. So I'm sorry. I think I disrupted your, your discussion of the takeaways from the report as well. Yes, I'm sorry. I wanted to say we, we released um, the report in draft, the, the guidance last September, based on these consultations. But 
purposefully in draft, which is quite unusual for the UN, um, because we recognize we don't have all the answers and moving from AI principles to practice is the real challenge. Sure. They are, yeah. you're right, you know, they are, I think, well over 160 principles for ethical and responsible AI. So wow. we, don't, we don't need more principles. We, we need to work out how you apply it, right? <laughs> right. And so we released it almost like, a, almost like an MVP of a, of a policy guide. And we've been working with eight organizations around the world to pilot the guidance and to kind of tell us what works and what doesn't. And, and we've written those up in case studies. So what we'll get at the end of November is version two, the non-draft version um, of the policy guidance and this pack of eight case studies and some additional resources like tips for kids, tips for parents. Um, but in terms of what's in the guidance, we, we have nine requirements for child-centered AI. And I won't go into all of them, but for example, we spoke about inclusion of children in the design process, not just in the AI design process, but in the AI policy design process and meaningful child participation. So not just kind of rolling in, you know, three kids at the end to kind of tick a box, right? <laughs> um, really involving children throughout the process and really taking on board what they have to say in the impact of the features that might be implemented or kind of how, how policy is worded. Obviously kind of diverse teams that we're looking at. We look at, we, 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 we talk about the requirement for provide transparency, explainability and accountability for children. Mm -hmm. So your listeners, you, you will know you'll recognize some of these principles as being part of the AI kind of general body of principles, but we kept asking, what does it mean for children? Sure. Right. So, right. So in this case, explainability is needs to be a language that's age appropriate, right? And when there are children involved, there needs to be a human in the loop more often than for adult and oversight bodies that look at, look at accountability should have child rights experts on them to think about, you know, these additional kind of impacts on, on children. We speak about protecting children's data and privacy and this really taking a privacy by design approach. Um, and I'm not sure if, if, if you've come across this, but recently in the UK, um, there was a, a, an app that was passed called the age appropriate design code. So it's, it's only specific to the UK, but it really looks at from a very practical design perspective, how if your platform has child users, even if it's not intended for children, but it may have children, child users, you need to really take a, this privacy by design and, and default to the highest levels of privacy. So kind of location tracking is off by default and many of the kind of more, more kind of data sharing features really requiring you to opt in versus kind of opt in by, by default. So it's that kind of thinking. And then we also talk about preparing children for the AI feature, for the presence, so AI literacy, AI collection, curriculum. And it's, it's not about every child being the next data scientist or, or kind of coder. Um, sure. Right. But some people do say that, but not every, not every child is going to be you know, a coder, but every child should be a conscious and critical user of technology and asking questions about how their data is collected and what yeah. are the privacy settings, right? And what are they getting in return for, for, for free platforms? I mean, questions that increasingly are being asked, but yeah, that, that children should be, should be asking. So there, there are nine of them. I encourage everyone to go and look at the guidance and use it as much as possible. We, we had some good, um, feedback and, and response from, from the draft version. We've had some dev teams like at, at ByteDance and TikTok contact us and say, can we come and talk to their teams and their, their protection teams just to try and interpret what, what those guidelines, which are still quite high level, what it could mean for their platform. 
So that, yeah, that's been really kind of rewarding. And we, we've had the government of Scotland um, officially adopt these requirements, uh, wow. this guidance. Yeah, they released their national AI strategy in April or March. So it's, it's, it's baked into that, which we were really excited about. Yeah. 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 Well, it's great to hear some concrete results of your work, you know, and, and hearing from companies and governments that can make these things, you know, come to life in the hands of kids. That, that I'm sure that is very rewarding. It's terrific. Awesome. So you mentioned Scotland here, but are there other differences in terms of policy and maybe the openness to addressing this particular area of AI policy that you've observed as you've looked at different countries around the world? Yes, we have actually. So now at least 14 governments have developed AI strategies around the world. Although we know that most of the capacity and, and funding is concentrated more in the, you know, in, in the, in the North, that's kind of US, Europe and China. Right. So that, that's where the bulk of the, kind of the, the heavy lifting happens. I, I wanted to just talk about something that's happening in, the, in Europe. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in terms of AI regulation, there isn't any of that globally. The, the first kind of attempt at it came out of the European Commission in April of this year. It's their proposal for a regulation of AI. So they're, they're calling it the AI Act. Um, and it's pretty good. It's, it's, it's worth taking a look into. And they, so this, this would govern the same as GDPR governs, you know, the European Union. This would, this would apply to the European Union and, and those countries. But what's interesting, it does recognize child rights and the Convention on the Rights of the Child. And it does actually pick out some, some wording around, around children and around their evolving capacities. What's interesting about it is that they, they categorize AI systems into, give it these different risk categories. And I, I just mentioned this because children are mentioned in some, in some of them. So certain AI systems, the worst kind of scenario is an, what they call unacceptable risk. So these are not, these, these would not be allowed. So this is kind of AI used for social scoring or the exploitation of the vulnerabilities of children. They also ban live biometric identification in public spaces. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, so facial recognition analysis cameras in public spaces, except there are one or two exceptions. And one of them is to find missing children. Hmm. Um, right. But then they also have this next category of, of high risk AI, which is, or AI systems, which is acceptable, but you really have to show as a, as a provider that you are complying with minimum standards and that you're checking the, the security and the robustness of, of the system. And these are ones that, these are ones that are used in HR for, for hiring and firing, um, or for, for kind of selecting who, who gets access to which benefits, educational benefits or, or health benefits. So that's, that's, that's really encouraging to see that. And yeah, we, we supported that as, as, as UNICEF. Yeah. Yeah, and I imagine that like GDPR, there will be kind of a ripple effect of those policy changes around the world more broadly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. That's definitely the, the European Commission's hope, I would say. Yeah. 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 Interesting. So what are you excited about when it comes to looking at issues around AI and, and kids in terms of maybe new innovations or policy changes? What are some things that you're looking forward to in the future? You know, I think this, this experience of consulting with children was, was so rewarding and just seeing how digitally engaged they really wanted to know more about AI system. They wanted to know what's happening with their data. They wanted to be included in the design and the policy. So I was really encouraged by that. I was excited by that because I think this is, you know, as, as the 
next generation of, of data scientists and AI policy regulators. It's encouraging that they, they're aware of these issues in a very kind of, perhaps in a basic way now, but want to know more. They also, what's interesting in the, in the workshops that came out there, they really expected more of industry out of tech platforms. And I think that that's going to, this is what we found anyways, you know, it was a fairly small sample, 245 kids, but you know, they, they were, they were aware that of this kind of interaction, this trade-off of kind of, I give my data, but I get mm. ads or right, I, right. right. There was this exchange, but they, I think they were, and they obviously loved their, you know, they didn't think about their online life, their offline life. There's, it's just life. Right. Yeah. No boundary so they, there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so they're excited about all the technology that they're using, but I think they're, yeah, they they wanted to feel that there was transparency and, and more protection. Yeah. Which is also encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be interesting generational shifts with regard to those opinions and, and then maybe eventually the way companies handle those issues. So good to hear. Exactly. But, you know, I think in terms of not just kids using AI, but the use of AI to, to better provide for children's healthcare or, you know, UNICEF itself uses AI in our, in our programming to do things like, you know, better models of, of, of disease outbreak and, and spread, or we have an, an initiative that's, that tries to measure the, the connectivity levels at schools and map that and basically use that data to inform programs to connect all schools and connect kids. So the, the opportunities for using AI in kind of UN style development is enormous. So it's hugely, hugely exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I thought I might throw one more question in here. Yeah. You mentioned tips for parents and I imagine we have um, probably a few parents out there among our listeners. I was wondering if maybe you would share one or two of those that might be useful for parents who are thinking about how their kids are relating to AI and data. Sure. You know. This was probably the hardest document we had to work on. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, there's often such a generational, intergenerational gap in terms of kind of experiences and expectations. And because UNICEF is global, you know, we, we think about, again, I'm from South Africa, you know, your, your average parent is pretty disconnected from their children's digital lives and vice versa. So then perhaps in, let's say Silicon Valley, but if you think about that, what what kind of conversations might, might they have? And that, that really was one of the recommendations to really talk to your children and take an interest in their digital lives and, and have a conversation about, doesn't have to be about AI, but the implications of those systems, like what happens to your data and what happens to, you know, your, your memories or your, your online activity today that could kind of warn you later, that's cool today, but not so cool in two years yeah. time. And, you know, and, uh, you know, are you comfortable with that? And so, yeah, I think the one is, is really taking time to, to have those conversations. And secondly, just to, to really take an interest in children's digital lives. We often hear, you know, the parents going, well, I, I don't know about that stuff. You know, I just, I don't know. They're on the, what is they're TikTok? on, I don't know. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. They're just on their screen all day. Well. You should find out what they're doing because it's, it's yeah. interesting, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. sure. and, it, and it opens the doors for, for those conversations. Absolutely. But I think also the last one, which I think is quite an easy one is to, is to ask your, you know, your school, what's your, what's their privacy policy, what's their policy around kind of profiling and kind of, and, and surveillance, which we know is a big part of kind of the predictive analytics and, and the data collection. So just being more, more curious about what are their kind of rules or policies in place. 
Yeah, no, that's a great point. Thinking about all the different kinds of classroom management software and tools that are out there that are, you know, undoubtedly becoming more complex in terms of their capabilities, but where do all those data go? So I think that's a great point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. So I wanted to ask you one question that we always ask on the podcast. This is our alternative hypothesis recurring segment. And the question is, what is something that people often think is true about data science generally or working around on issues that are around AI data science, but that you have personally found to be incorrect? That is a great question. Um, <laughs> in our consultations with experts around the world, they weren't all AI experts. A lot of them were government policymakers. And you often get somebody who's suddenly put in charge of, of regulating AI or coming up with a, a policy. They don't have an AI background, but they, they're kind of learning fast, but they're overwhelmed by the space. And so I think my answer would be that this perception in a sense that for those who are not in data science or in AI, that it's all magic and that it's unstoppable, that it has a life of its own. Right. And that perception really is very widespread. I know we, we kind of, you know, we, we, we laugh about it, but we really need to stress the point that this is, there are people behind all of this, behind the systems, behind how they're designed, how they're optimized, how the data is collected. And so we can really guide that. So the myth that AI is, is magic, that would yeah. be my, my answer. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that. But fortunately, we're not at the point yet that we've built anything that is unstoppable as far as I know. So that's good. <laughs> that's good. There is hope at this point. Oh, no, I was, yeah. no exactly. And I people, that's true. And perhaps people have higher expectations or perceptions. <laughs> you know, some of the, what they describe, you're like, wow, I didn't know AI could, <laughs> could yeah. do that or machine learning. <laughs> That's funny. They're just very optimistic, I guess. <laughs> well, exactly. Exactly. I should just, yeah, add if, if I can, just two other bits. The one is, by the time this is aired, it, it would have happened, but we're, we're hosting on the 30th of November and, and 1st of December, a global forum on AI and children which will look at AI and education and healthcare, you know, and look at this, this guidance and how it's been used by these different case, case study organizations. So the recordings of that will be live. So, you know, awesome. that, that if somebody's interested in this, please check that out. And then the other point is we've also been doing a lot of work at UNICEF on data governance um, mm -hmm. and around the governance of children's data. We have manifesto and a whole bunch of papers. So again, from a data science perspective, this is more the governance side, but yeah, there's some really great resources there that you know, I, I'd encourage anyone to, to, to check out. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll put links to those in the show notes as well. So folks can find them more easily. Terrific. Well, this has been really thought provoking and really interesting to hear all about your work, Stephen. And I really appreciate you taking the time to join us for the podcast. Thank you, Susan. I've, I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to our data science mixer chat with Stephen Vosloo. Join us on the Alteryx community for this week's cocktail conversation to share your thoughts. For this episode, let's chat about what you've observed with kids' interaction with data science and AI. If there are kids in your life, have you noticed anything interesting about how they respond to these technologies? Or from the professional side of things, have you considered how kids might engage with your data science work? And has that shaped your practice at all? Share your thoughts and ideas by leaving a comment directly on the episode page at community.alterix.com slash podcast, or post on social media with the hashtag data science mixer and tag Alteryx. Cheers.